Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, we're going to look at a couple of different things in connection with what we talked about last week, which was the 1619 Project, which is this almost brainwashing approach to uh, history that is being presented by the New York Times and uh, other institutions that are actually putting this already into the curriculum of your schools, which is absolutely amazing that they're actually putting this misinformation in your public education curriculums. And, of course, it will filter into many of the private school curriculums as well because that's who's making the books. And if you listen to our shows last week, we talked about the Reese Commission and where the government actually uncovered the fact that uh, many philanthropic, philanthropic organizations were trying to change the way in which Americans view history. But it didn't begin... In the year 2000 or 2008, but in 1908, they began to alter your history books so that you would change your view of American and world history. Now, of course, a number of years ago, about 20 years ago, I saw them taking history courses simply completely out of school and so that you would have uh, people who are actually history majors, believe it or not, in college who couldn't tell you who was in the different wars that America has fought since the American Revolution. These are people actually studying geopolitics and they can't tell you the wars that we were in or why, much less why we were in those wars or who was fighting in those wars, what was the motivation. And these are college students. People have been graduated for decades now with little or no knowledge of history. So that when they read these things like the 1619 articles that are in the New York Times, they can't tell that they are reading rubbish, that they are reading misinformation. It is for a political motivation that these things are in. I just read this morning that uh, evidently the Trump campaign incorporated is suing the CNN, uh, Washington Post and the New York Times for defamation defamatory comments that they have made and statements that they have made that they refuse to retract. And they are clearly defamatory comments. And that's become pervasive in the news. I mean, 87%, maybe even as much as 90% of the college professors are all liberal, Democrat uh, philosophy. Now, that shows a bias in the hiring of professors so that you get this particular political viewpoint when they're presenting uh, history or even literature in the universities. And, of course, this is affecting generation upon generation now and that is being filtered through those halls of supposed education. And one of the reasons why is because they lack critical thinking. But what actually we're going to start talking about today is an article that I read uh, just, uh, I 
I guess it was yesterday, and I put together a few notes on the article. But the article was written by uh, Rick uh, Plasterer, and he quotes a number of theologians in the article, and it, it's basically on what it seems to be a series on social justice. The particular article, we have it linked now. Uh, if you go to our social social justice page in preparingyou.com, uh, which you can find using the search engine up there. But that critical theory coverage that he has in his article, we have links to his article on that page at least twice, the critical theory uh, theory's advent in the Christian world and how to respond. Now, critical theory is not the same as critical thinking, and we'll go through some of that. But he has an article in there where he quotes a number of different people. Some are somewhat less biased than others. Uh, Clark uh, Sheeby, uh, I think I have his name right, he's the director of the uh, Labrie Fellowship in Victoria, British Columbia. And uh, he quotes him rather extensively in this. But he also quotes the other side and some of their philosophies and ideas as well. But anyway, I, I've added a little section to our social justice page on this critical theory. And I really didn't know much about critical theory. Now, I've looked up a great deal about it yesterday and, and late last night and early this morning uh, was uh, going over what people think critical theory is. And you would think critical theory, that has something to do with critical thinking. That's how you come up with a theory that is a critical theory. But actually, it has nothing to do with critical thinking. <laughs> and that's the amazing thing about critical theory is that it is lacking any sort of real critical thinking. And there's an, quite a bit of evidence that what I'm saying now is true. But you have to kind of... You know, all the pieces of the puzzle are out there, but you have to kind of connect the dots. And and what we've done on our web pages at hisholychurch.org and preparing you, and there's a number of other pages that other people are putting up together with lots of uh, our podcasts on it. And and if you, if you get into it, we try to link these things back and forth so you can find the different uh, Pages, but they're the expression of a number of different people that are trying to show you what everybody seems to be missing, including Rick Plasterer and Clark Sheeby. Although, I have to admit, in their article, they hit on the exact thing that most Christians need to begin to understand and uh, comprehend. But they, I don't think they take it quite far enough. I heard Ben Carson this morning talking about why he's doing what he's doing. He could retire. He's a brain surgeon. He's successful. But he is out there punching away at certain ideas and ideologies and trying to get people to kind of wake up. And he was asked why he is doing that and not just simply going off and retiring. And he said it was what it says in James about pure religion. And uh, uh, Plasterer, Rick Plasterer, also quotes that same section of the New Testament where it's talking about pure religion. And they put it in a better context than I hear most ministers do, and we'll get to that eventually. But that's what Ben Carson was also quoting. And I shared that on my Facebook page. But... Uh, and I'm going to see if anybody else looks at it. And I also ran out of time because I had to get ready for this morning's program. 
But uh, I will go back and I will put in some of the links to some of our articles on this so that people can understand how far and what pure religion really is. Because if I look out there on the landscape, not only do I see 87 to 90% of the college professors are liberal leftists, some are flat out communists, uh, most of them are socialists, but... If I look out on the landscape of modern churches, denominations, and religions across the board, they do not understand pure religion. Most of them don't even understand religion. And again, just like they've been changing the history books over the last century, they've been changing the definition of words over the last century. And we show this very clearly by going back to the dictionaries you know, 200 years ago and show you the definition of religion, which was the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. And what that definition of religion is, if you go out there and Google it today, that religion is defined as what you think about a supreme being. Well, those are vastly different definitions. So if you have words in your head that have completely different definitions than what they had a hundred years ago or two hundred years ago, if you read any document like the Constitution or the Bible translated a few hundred years before the Constitution into English, if you are reading those things, but the definition of the English words has changed in the last hundred years or fifty years or two hundred years or three hundred years. It's changed from what it was when they translated the Bible into English. You can read the English translation and not understand what they are saying. Because the definition of the word in your mind is different than the definition of the word in the mind of the person who originally translated the Bible into English. So if you do that with many, 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 many words... And you remove any knowledge of history and culture of the time. You can be easily deceived into thinking you know what you're talking about. So if I come along with a little critical theory or a little critical thinking and show you that what you thought was true just ain't so, you might think I'm the enemy. Because I'm challenging what you believe to be true. I'm not challenging your faith in Christ. I'm just showing you a clearer picture of what Christ was talking about. And that's what uh, Clark Sheeby and, and Mr. Plasterer needs to see. As well as all their readers and all the people that are following some of their good advice. So anyway, let's take a look at critical theory. There's several definitions floating around, but critical theory is a philosophical approach to culture and especially to literature. And again, literature is composed of all those words they're changing the definition of as we speak (laughs) and have been changing the definition for a century or more. So it's especially, that's what it says, the critical theory is especially has to do with this literature that seeks to confront the social, historical, and ideological forces and structures that produce and constrain it 
it says in this definition. But what's it? Critical theory. Uh, so they're going to look at all these things in uh, social, historical, and ideological forces and even the structures in society, in culture, that restrain their idea of critical theory. And again, critical theory has very little to do with critical thinking. It's actually the antithesis of critical thinking. As it is presented mostly by socialists. It is it is a common term you'll find among socialists, communists, leftists, is this critical theory. And it's where you get things like uh, uh, Howard Zinn and, and uh, the 1619 Project. is because they look at culture... They look at literature and they confront it, but not with critical thinking, with critical theory. The term, uh, the critical theory is applied particularly to the works uh, of the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory. And we could talk about the Frankfurt School, but that would be, you know, it comes up a number of times when you're studying anything like this. But uh, it is it is very biased organization. We'll just put it at that. But uh, this theory is the reflective assessment and critique of society and culture by applying knowledge from the social sciences and the humanities to reveal and challenge power structures. Critical theory also or uh, has origins in sociology and also in literary criticisms, you know, because you can look at, you can read a number of different books and that were written at different times by different people and you, you can see certain patterns developing in the way that individual looks at things. And those patterns are caused by what they're willing to see and what they're not willing to see. Sociologists like, uh, Mark, uh, Herkemeyer, uh, also associated with that same uh, Frankfurt uh, School of Critical Theory, uh, describes the theory of critical, uh, this theory of critical, as critical, insofar as it seeks, and this is his uh, quote, to liberate human beings from the circumstances that enslave them. Now that sounds good. Liberating human beings from the circumstances that enslave them. (laughs) But is that actually what they're doing with their critical theory? No, it's actually not. It's actually the antithesis of what they're doing. They're actually leading people like the Pied Piper into slavery. The Pied Piper, we have a picture of the Pied Piper on the cover of the book Covenants of the Gods. And it is the Pied Piper leading you back into bondage while they're promising you liberty. Liberating human beings with these great swelling words, which they talk about in the Bible, but they're actually delivering you back into the bondage of Egypt. Which is, all that has already taken place in America. I know a lot of people want to think America is one of the freest nations in the world. And to some degree it is, although I can I can show you countries where you have a lot more freedom on a day-to-day basis simply because the the governments of that country are not as good at being totalitarian as uh, other countries. They're just not very efficient at totalitarianism, so you have a certain amount of freedom in those countries. But all these countries, 
or facing an infection of violence that it will spread across the world at a most inopportune time. And uh, you need to prepare for that, the same as the early Christians prepared for that, because it was during the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, where you were... When the Roman Empire, of course, they did a lot of persecution of the Christians, and there's a reason why, and most people don't understand why. Uh, most Christians today don't qualify for that kind of persecution. We see the rise of persecution in Christianity today, but it's because people have some idea of what Christ was talking about. They have, they read about Christ in the Bible, they see some of the things that he says and that he does, and they are drawn to that, and that, that means they're drawn towards Christianity, they believe themselves to be converts, but they are not yet perfected in Christ because of some of the things left out of the evangelism of Christ in the world today. And the reason I picked on this particular article, I didn't realize it at the, when I first was reading it, but I got down to the bottom and saw these guys are getting pretty close. They just have to take it another step farther. Ben Carson's getting pretty close, but he has to take it another step farther. And that's what we're going to try to do today is take it to that next step. And so the other thing that I've mentioned here is this critical thinking. And so I thought I'd run over quickly some of the definitions of critical thinking. Critical thinking is the analysis of facts to form judgment. Now, you can't cut out certain facts. You have to take all the facts and put them in. And analysis means certain facts are going to be more important than others. But you have to consider those facts. You can't just erase certain facts. And, of course, that's... That's why CNN is getting <laughs> sued and uh, the New York Times is getting sued because they they remove certain facts. And they, in the 1619 Project, the, the, there's a huge amount of removal of certain facts, inconvenient truths, so to speak. And it's the same way in modern Christendom. They talk about Jesus. They talk about... I saw a video put out by PragerU today on was Jesus a socialist? And of course we ask that same question. I might put that video up on our webpage, was Jesus a socialist? We have a page just asking the same question. They covered many of the important points uh, that Jesus makes that shows clearly that he was not a socialist. But I am amazed at the fact that the one of the most critical statements of Jesus where he not only denied socialism, he forbid... Actually, there were several statements they didn't include in there. His condemnation of Corbin, which was a socialist program set up by the Pharisees and Herod in Judea at that time. He condemned them for that program. And they made no mention in the video of that. But what I, I first caught is they made no mention of the fact that Jesus forbid us as the church to engage in any way, shape, or form in a socialist system where men who call themselves benefactors exercise authority. And that's what socialism is, is that you elect some sort of ruling group who will divide the wealth amongst people. They did point out where Jesus, where, you know, an individual came and asked Jesus to force his brother to divide the inheritance with him. And he says, what made makes me a divider over you. That's not the place of the church. That's not the place of 
the government of God to redistribute wealth. That's your job as individuals in that government of Christ where you're supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You're the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. That's what it says in the Wycliffe Bible, that 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 book, the Bible, was written for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. That's where Abraham Lincoln got the phrase from the Wycliffe Bible. <laughs> At least that's where, that's the earliest place where we see that phrase of government of. And it, what that means is, yes, in Christianity, there is a redistribution of wealth. But it's done by the individual who produced that wealth. And it's done through a thing we call charity. And the word we see translated charity is often translated love. This is what it means to love thy neighbor. To provide for thy neighbor in a way that strengthens thy neighbor. But you do it through charity, not through force. John the Baptist said, not through force, do it through charity. So anyway, if you leave out those facts, you're not dealing in critical thinking. So you have to have those facts as well. And while the PragerU video had many of the facts, it left out some facts. It's better than what I see in most places, but not as good as it needs to be. But we'll go into this critical thinking and into this article greater depth when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, welcome back. So, there's two things that we're talking about new here that are critical theory, which is this philosophical approach to culture. It's not an analytical approach to culture, really. It's just a philosophical approach to culture, and especially to literature. So they take books, literature, and uh, and even, well, they, they don't really say history in most of the definitions, but it does get into history. But they begin to alter people's view of history, of culture, and of literature by leaving out certain information. Because And that, of course, is the definition of bias. And so we, we're going to need examples where they actually tell you that they're going to leave out facts and information. So we know right away that when they talk about critical theory, they are the antithesis of critical thinking. And again, critical thinking is the analysis of facts. To form a judgment. The subject is complex, they say. The several different definitions exist of this idea of critical thinking. Which generally include the rational, skeptical, unbiased analysis or evaluation of factual evidence. That means you have to look at all the evidence. You can't just leave out some of the evidence. Critical thinking is self-directed, self-disciplined, self-monitored, self-corrective thinking. Now, you see a pattern there, self. It's, it's the individual has to apply this unbiased analysis and evaluation of facts. He has to be willing to look at all the facts. So critical thinking is an individual Operation. If you're going to be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you need to look at all the facts. You need to have critical thinking. You need to be willing to see 
yeah, I'm, I belong to this church and I really like the church and I really like the pastor and I really like the music and I really like a lot of the ideas and a lot of the people there. But, is it Christ's church? Is it following every place that Christ said for us to go? And, you know, I remember, and I've told this story before, it was just an example. I actually have quite a few examples of this same kind of thing. But somebody, I, I was led to put a particular pamphlet in my belt and carry it around behind my coat. And I got to talking to somebody at a meeting where there were hundreds of people. And that individual was talking about some of the things going on at, at this big meeting. And I knew it was time to take that pamphlet out and hand it to him. And it was the body of Christ versus the body of the state. And talking about if you know if you're a corporation of Christ, which is that's what the church is supposed to be, and it can't also be a corporation of the state, because the state states in its laws that if you incorporate under the laws of this state, all other previous incorporation is null and void as if it never existed. So you're no longer the corpus of Christ, the body of Christ, you're now the body of the state. And so much for separation of church and state. <laughs> now, most ministers don't want to look at that. There are some that do. But they don't always take it far enough. Because in critical thinking, you have to look at all the facts. And, you know, I've sat there and talked to guys who were in the unregistered church movement. Some of the leaders of it. Calling me up on a regular basis. Asking my opinion. But when I take him to the rest of the story... He gets very nervous and the ice in his tea glass begins to shake and rattle <laughs> because I'm giving him the rest of the story. Same thing happened with Christ when he explained that you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. You have to follow in my footsteps what I'm doing in order to be one of my ministers. Well, what was he doing? Well, this is why it is important to know that Jesus was from one of the richest families in Judea. Uh, he had relatives who were some of the richest men in the world at that time. He wasn't a poor, humble carpenter. His father, Joseph, married to Mary, was probably a stonemason and a very successful, financially stable one who had many, 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 many people working for him. So Jesus was wealthy. And we know that because the Bible tells us he was wealthy. This is one of those facts people just skip over. Though he was rich, Paul says, he made himself poor. He gave away his wealth. <laughs> so that's a, that's a fact. It states that right there. Now that people try to edge around that fact because it's one of those inconvenient truths. But that's the same reason why some of the unregistered churches didn't want to hear the whole story. And that's what we tell you is the whole story. And the whole story as we see it so far, God may show us more. We'll show you where we're, we're getting it right in the biblical text. Just like that PragerU video talked about everything but didn't talk about where Jesus said, You've seen the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. It is not to be that way with you. He's talking about the socialist state of Rome and the socialist state of many other nations who were taxing people 
to obtain a treasury to help out the poor with their free bread and circuses. That's Rome was becoming a socialist state, which of course centralized power in the hands of the emperor, just like it did with Stalin, just like it did with Mao, just like it did with Popot. And then what did you end up with? Bloodshed. Now the Christians were the brunt of a great deal of that bloodshed. There were a lot of other factions, which we won't go in, we don't have time to go into now, that were opposing the direction in which Rome was going. They wanted to restore the Republic. And get away from this social democracy, the in, very indirect democracy. I mean, the the emperors were elected with an electoral college, and eventually they did away with the electoral college, and they just kind of inserted themselves with people like the uh, Praetorian Guard, etc. But that's another whole story. I would love to have conversations with people who want to know. If you have questions, join the network, ask the questions. We'll address it on the podcast. Put, put these questions together and we, we already, most of what you see I'm preparing you and it says holychurch.org and many of the books that we've published there that are free online are the result of questions. But don't just call me up <laughs> ask the questions. Put it on the network. Put it in writing so we can hone that question so we can get to the root of the problem. But anyway, you can go, you can join the network by going to preparingyou.com and joining the network there. And it's based on geographical areas. So all the people in the network, you won't get their emails. Only the people geographically as close to you as possible. And the purpose of the network is to help you do what Christ commanded. And it's not just for debate, but you can ask questions there. And we will try to address that because A lot of times your question is the same question a lot of other people are asking. So anyway, this critical thinking is this analysis of facts to form a judgment. Well, you need all the facts. The subject of critical thinking is complex and there are several different definitions in existence of this idea of critical thinking, but they're all overlapping. And they all include a rational, skeptical, unbiased analysis or evaluation of those facts Critical thinking is, again, an individual thing. It's self-directed, self-disciplined. But it's not critical thinking if you remove some of the facts. It presupposes assent to a rigorous standard of excellence and mindful command of their use of the facts and analysis. If you aren't rigorous in your standards, if you start excluding certain facts and just saying, well, I, I, you know, this is what you, when you talk to people and you show them, yeah, but Jesus said this, they change the subject rather than address what he said. When he says, and, and we see this in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it is not to be that way with you, talking about these benefactors who exercise authority, these governments who redistribute the wealth by force and offer you all kinds of benefits at the expense of your neighbor. That's totally anti-Christ. Now, you may love a lot of things about Christ, but if you don't include that in your thinking, then you're not assenting to that rigorous standard of looking at all the gospel. And see, that's the thing. You're supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. And if you simply remove some of the directives of Christ 
then you're removing some of the facts and you're no longer engaged in critical thinking. You're actually sliding over into critical theory because they love to remove facts. They present facts out of context, but the, and, and part of that context is the other facts they don't want to look at. Anyway, this objective analysis and evaluation of issues in order to form a judgment is absolutely critical in critical thinking. So you have to be willing to look at all facts. So it it also says it entails uh, effective communication and a problem of solving abilities as well as a commitment to overcome native egocentrism and sociocentrism. So you're trying to overcome those things. Well, what, what's egocentrism? <laughs> so we'll look at those definitions briefly. Egocentrism is thinking only of oneself without regard for the feelings or desires of others. It is self-centered. Well, that's the antithesis of Christianity because you're supposed to not just love your neighbor, but love your neighbor as yourself. You have to love your neighbor, your neighbor's children, equal to your own children. You have to care about them. So that's the antithesis of egocentrism. And, of course, critical thinking requires that you overcome that. Now, sociocentrism is a tendency to assume a superiority or a rightness of one's own social group. And, of course, that's the big thing in modern uh, philosophies that are being taught in the colleges is that you belong to a group. And your group is better. They they use it as your group is better because it's more oppressed than the other group because they divide everybody into this socially oppressed. Shibi uh, first discussed the, the increasingly popular idea of social justice is the end goal of Christianity. And to some degree, he's right. Social justice is the end goal of Christianity, but that's why we've already dealt with social justice uh, in our article at Preparing You, and, and we've probably done programs on it. That idea of social justice, originally the term was uh, put into circulation if, as far back as I can find it. I think it was in the 1600s, and it was by a Jesuit priest. <laughs> But he was talking about social justice where we, much like Christ, was concerned with the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. As Christians, we should be concerned about justice. But the tactics we use to obtain social justice is quite a bit different than what the modern social justice warrior is using. One of his tactics is to remove facts to to hide facts, hide inconvenient truths. Another tactic he uses is to use men who exercise authority one over the other to force people to do what he thinks is just. Well, of course, that is the essence of tyranny. And, of course, it will only bring in tyranny. And we'll talk more about that. But uh, Shibi uh, joked that many people had anxiously asked him, what he would say. He said that social justice is a hot-button issue in the evangelical world because many young people from a Christian background have given up on biblical Christianity 
and some have left the church, and some have left the faith. Well, the faith in what? Uh, faith in, this is the problem. It's the modern church has, wants you to have faith in their biblical view of the Bible. Their personal interpretation of the Bible, but these same people are the ones who leave out the command not to be like the benefactor, uh, the, the, the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactor. Who's he telling that to? Who is Christ talking to when he says you're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other? He's talking to the ministers he is about to appoint a kingdom to, a government to. The church, by definition, is one form of government. But if I even just say the word government, you think somebody who exercises authority. But the church is a government that does not exercise authority over you. It operates entirely by free will offerings, by faith, by hope, by charity. That's not the way most governments operate. They operate by force and fealty and and violence. They force the contributions of the people and redistribute the wealth. We say it's by charity. That's a different kind of government. So that when they say the church is one form of government, it is. But when he says that many of these young Christians have left biblical Christianity, I question whether they're leaving true biblical Christianity or the interpretation of the modern church who says it's absolutely okay to go to men who exercise authority one over the other and force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. And that's why you have people coming out and thinking that Jesus Christ was a socialist. Like I said last week, uh, Ocasio-Cortez is quoting Jesus in her drive for a socialist state which is the antithesis of what Jesus was talking about, but yet she gets away with quoting Jesus and people don't even get. What is she saying that's wrong? Buddha Judge did the same thing. And I'm sure you can find lots of others. I mean, you'll probably, if I look back, I could probably find Hillary and other people in politics that are doing it. No. Christianity is separate from the world of politics that uses force to take care of the needy of society, which is what 60, 70, 80% of the people think is okay. Even the people that are against some of these systems of forced contribution, they're, they call themselves conservatives, they're still for it in some areas, like public education. We force our neighbor to pay for our child's public education. So... And this, of course, is where we're getting into repentance. Repentance is thinking a different way. So the pursuit of justice is not the problem, but rather, uh, and I'm quoting here, over time, the immoral pursuit of justice. That's the problem. Because they're pursuing justice through immoral means, through covetous practices. By forcing the contributions of their neighbor, they are becoming accustomed to living at the expense of their neighbor and depending for their livelihood on the property of others. And so, but Christ does want us to seek social justice, but he wants us to do it through faith, hope, and charity. And he wants us to attend to the weightier matters. We have articles up so you can go find out what the weightier matters are. But he wants us to do it 
through a moral basis, including all the aspects. So this is where it isn't just enough to seek social justice. You have to have a moral base to it. You can't covet your neighbor's goods. You can't do it by threatening to kill your neighbor if he doesn't do what you want him to do or throw him into jail or punish him or twist his arm behind his back. You can't do that. You have to allow choice. You have to allow liberty. Now, they're promising people liberty, but they're actually promising them from the liberty of responsibility. So, uh, Shibi also uh, considers several questions. How how did we get here? What is at work? What are the processes that are at work? And how does it relate to biblical Christianity? And this is where they they finally, at the end of the article, they touch on some aspects of biblical Christianity they don't see a lot of people addressing, but they they don't take it as far as we do. And we want to take you all the way to the kingdom of God and all the way to his righteousness. That's where all ministers should be leading the people. And if they're watering down the gospel in order to keep people sitting comfortably in the pews, they're doing those people a disservice and Christ a disservice. They're not really loving their congregation as Christ loved. Because Christ told them the truth. And we have to do the same thing. So, the back in uh, 1968, we see this social justice in all areas of the life of the left. And they're all talking about it. And they, they've coined phrases like social justice, warriors, etc., and uh, but the reality is in in the capitalist america if you want to live in socialism you can go out and join a commune right now they talk about you know they they actually explain that and, and refer to capitalism as the tyranny of capitalism capitalism there is no tyranny in capitalism capitalism is what you produce is yours that's it you, you the means of production you have a right to the means of production, like property. You get to own property. You improve that property. You fix up that property. You build a house on that property. You build an apartment complex on that property. And you want to rent out the rooms to other people. That's not tyranny. That's free market. That's exactly what those people did with, when they gave talents, you know, uh, two talents, three talents, and, and to these individual people. Some of them went out and invested it and made it more. Made it more valuable. Made the land more valuable. Made the talent more valuable. And they were praised for this. But the one who didn't do anything with it, he was, he was chastised for that. So there's not, there's no tyranny in capitalism. Now there are, can be capitalists who exercise tyranny. But that's a matter of choice. But if you want to live in a socialist commune in a capitalist state, you can join a commune right now and live like socialists. All go out and work. All the money goes into the commune and you elect guys who divide that money up amongst everybody in the commune. You can do that right now. You don't need to get Bernie Sanders elected to presidency or AOC or Judge or any of these other people that are running for to force everybody in America to be socialists. You don't, you really don't have that right to do that. You, you can actually obtain that if you get elected, I guess. But if you want to live in a socialist community, you can form that right now. It's absolutely legal in the United States to form that socialist community. And everything you earn, you, it's not yours. It goes into the commune. 
And you elect guys in your commune to redistribute that wealth. And you can go out and you can get paid. You don't get paid. The payment goes to your commune. And it goes directly into the commune. And you don't have to pay any taxes on that. That's absolutely legal to do right now. We could even show you how to do it, but I wouldn't take the time to do it because I'm too busy trying to preach you how Christ said to do it, which is not that way. (laughs) He had another way in mind. So there is no tyranny in capitalism. Capitalism is merely the economic system based on private ownership, control, and operation of the means of production. You're the means of production. And you can accumulate wealth and give work to other men. We see Christ talking about that, where he's hiring people to work all day in the field for a denarii, and they all are really tickle pink to get the work. And they go in there, and then some guys, he ends up needing more workers, so he ends up paying a denarii for guys who only do a half a day's work or even an hour's work. And some guys are complaining, wait a minute, I agreed to pay you a denarii, you are happy with that, I'm paying you. Why are you concerned about what isn't what I have produced? The money I have accumulated, isn't it mine to redistribute? See, capitalism, to be successful, needs to be charitable. It needs to have Christian principles. Now, it can be successful for a while with very little Christian principles, but it, it needs that ultimately in order to strengthen society, to have that concept of charity. But, in itself, it's not selfish to keep what you produce. Christ is clearly stating that. That, you know, isn't it lawful for me to do with mine own what I will? Well, it is in capitalism. And if you want to be in a socialist system, like I say, in a capitalist system like America, you can create your own socialist system right now. Everybody who wants to be a socialist, get together, form these communities... And set it up. It's it's right in the law that you can do this. And you start sending your paycheck directly into the community and elect guys to redistribute the wealth amongst you. So you can do that right now. Tax-free. You can do that. But I'm not sure that's really what a lot of you want. Because what you want is power. And that's what we see. There is a vengeful spirit amongst the cultural Marxists. They want control. They want power. They want power over your speech. They want power over what you can say and what you can't say. Now, you you don't have a right to that power. You don't have a right to that vengeance that we see some of these um, Marxists talking about. You read Isaiah 63.4 For the day of vengeance is in mine heart and the year of my redeemed is come. Vengeance is the Lord's. Even in Romans twelve nineteen, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So his is the vengeance, not us. So what we have to be doing, back again to seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So anyway, they want to divide the world into the oppressed and the oppressor. That's not really the way we do it because that requires judgment and a vengeful heart. What we want to do is seek righteousness. We don't do the dividing. Let God do the dividing. 
But anyway, we'll talk more about this and we'll get to where they actually get close to the kingdom when we return to Keys of the Kingdom in a moment. We talk about a lot of controversial subjects and topics at Keys of the Kingdom. We look into the untold history, the inconvenient facts of our history, the information that has been deleted from the gospel. It's in the text, but they just kind of skip over it. They don't seem to have eyes to see it. It's right there. And of course, because we do that, we add hundreds, even thousands of footnotes in our reading material, which are all free online at hisholychurch.org and preparingyou.com. But I also want to give you a disclaimer. The viewpoints and statements of belief and opinions expressed in my interviews, writings, and podcasts are only the results of my personal observation and experience. We do not promote, endorse, or verify the veracity or reliability of any groups, personalities, or institutions we may mention. They are being shared in open communication in search of the truth. It is not our intention to offend, confuse, or attack anyone, nor their personal delusions. The free expression of ideas in an open conversation with the general population of the world are not meant as a legal, medical, or personal advice. If you believe we are in error, let us know where and how you believe we are in error. Be specific. Join the network. Tell us there. Join some of our other groups. Send us an email. We can even bring you on the program and you can debate some of these topics. There is no way that we're going to talk about such controversial issues in such great depth that we are not going to mention some things that people are unaware of or have been unaware of or have never been told just because it seems unusual because it's outside of the realm of what you have come to believe is true search out find out do we have evidence to back this up is there a reasonable logical and righteous pattern that we are pointing to That's going to be up to you. We're all seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Until then, peace on your house. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So like I said, the the critical theory people like to divide the world into the oppressed and the oppressor and uh, the powerful and the advantaged and the powerless and the disadvantaged. And, of course, then that's that's the whole idea of they put people in all these different categories of being this person being disadvantaged more and this people person being disadvantaged even more. And the more they're disadvantaged, the more their words have more power than the ones who have advantage. They, in their minds, they're taking away the power of those who, you know, are white, uh, male, uh, wealthy, uh, they don't have any say. The only ones who have any say are the people who are poor, black, crippled, and gay. And uh, the people who are often in these poor positions like that, Not you know, black people don't necessarily like that. I, I saw a thing with Ami, I think that's his name. I can't remember his whole name right now. But anyway, he went onto campuses and was asking students 
uh, about this new trend of having black areas on the college, black dormitories on the college, uh, separate black graduation, which the blacks want. They want to segregate themselves from the whites. Well, by the same token, they're segregating the whites from the blacks because they're actually creating safe spaces. And he was asking him what they thought of this. And almost everybody he asked, I, as far as I can remember, were white on the campus. And they all thought this was great and they were for it. And that's what they want, sure. And they thought it was great. And then he went a few blocks away from the campus where it's not dominated by leftist, <laughs> Marxist uh, professors. And he began to ask the people on the street. And in that particular community, most of them were people of color. And he was asking them, and they were going like, no, that's crazy. Uh, 100%, he said, thought, no. Why Why are we separating? We're, how are we going to be a community? You know, how are we going to be, you know, a society if we start segregating ourselves? Absolutely the different opposite opinion from the black people out there. But the black people in the university, at least some of them, were thinking that that was a good idea to segregate themselves. And, of course, then he went and interviewed the head of the KKK, who thought it was a good idea. To <laughs> but the, the reality is is that this is a lack of critical thinking and an overabundance of critical theory. Uh, thinking that, no, you want to segregate yourself off because you have power in that segregation. No, you don't. It actually takes power away from your community. It divides. You know, what do they say? Divide and conquer. And they're falling into this idea right away. But what I want to really bring up is CB talks about that many of these people who embrace this critical theory, they reject, they don't really reject the American dream, which is about, involves personal prosperity uh, in the world that we live in. They don't reject personal prosperity. They're not out like uh, mendicant monks uh, or sadhus. In India, you know, living in ash heaps and stuff. They're not interested in that. They want comfort. They want what they want. But what they're really rejecting is Christianity. Which, and this is where my objection comes, Shibi says, which is self-denying. I don't believe Christianity is self-denying. It's denying selfishness. But it is because... Our heart is purged of selfishness because we love Christ. The search for Christianity is a positive thing. It's not about denial of even things that might tempt us. It's about the fact that we love the truth. We love righteousness more than we love those self-serving pastimes that the world offers us in many ways. I mean, we... We don't deny ourselves the pleasure of drugs. We just have no interest in drugs because we are seeking enlightenment and awakeness and we want to see the truth. I mean, I, I've had so many people tell me, oh, well, I, I chew tobacco or I drink because it helps me cope. Or they take a Darvon or I can't even think of all the... I used to have all those names of all those drugs in my head when I talked about that. But Valium and all these things, they take them because it helps them cope. No, they take all those things because it helps them not cope. <laughs> the reason they're smoking marijuana, the reason they're uh, taking drugs, the reason they're 
doing these uh, inappropriate things that is defaming their body is because they don't want to cope with the truth about themselves. So Christianity is not denying yourself. It's seeing yourself and seeking the righteousness of God. Christ said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be put into place. He doesn't say anything about self-denial. He says to seek this righteousness. Now, I agree that in the process of seeking righteousness, you may have to deny yourself. You do it when, you know, you you have some money and you see somebody in need and you want to help them out and you contribute that money to help them out or food or clothing or whatever it is. You take something you have and you give it to another in this gifting process. And you're happy to give it, which is the Eucharist of Christ. It's thankfully giving to others. You're not giving because somebody's forcing you or pointing a gun at you or taxing you. You're giving because you actually care about others. So in that sense, you might say that looks like self-denial. But we know that when we lay down our life for Christ's sake, for Christ's character in, in the way of Christ, we will pick up our life more abundant. So we're really not denying ourselves. We're putting up treasures in the kingdom of God. So it's not, it, you have to be very careful. I've seen ministers fall into this this idea of being the mendicant, the self-denial, the sad do, which um, my son-in-law always refers to as sad dudes because they just wreck their lives with this self-denial. And they're getting an ego boost with that, which is a drug. And you don't want that. So anyway, if you read uh, 3 John, the, the 3rd epistle of John, Chapter 1, verse 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers. How does your soul prosper? Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So, the the America dream, which uh, after all involves this prospering in the world, as uh, C.B. says, but only if it includes Christian principles, which involves this prospering our neighbor as much as ourselves. Which takes me back to what I was telling you about capitalism. Capitalism is, you have control over your means of production. But if you don't care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself, you will not prosper, even in capitalism. Sooner or later, it will catch up on you. And you can read Second Timothy 3.7. It says, ever learning and ever able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And a lot of people are studying the Bible, but they're not really coming to a knowledge of the truth because they're leaving out the inconvenient facts. And that's what you hear here on Keys of the Kingdom a lot of times is what they would call inconvenient facts. We believe them as the life-giving facts of the gospel. Because we're willing to look at the whole gospel. If you go back to that Second Timothy chapter 3 and start at the beginning, it says, This now also, that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, which is the antithesis of that self-denial. But again, I want you to be careful of get falling into the self-denial idea. 
but the point is they love themselves. You are supposed to love yourself. But you're also supposed to love your neighbor equal to yourself. Your spouse equal to yourself. Your children equal to yourself. Your neighbor's children equal to yourself. But he says, the men shall be lovers of their own selves, comma, covetous. They want something at somebody else's expense. They will boast with proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents. In other words, they don't want to take care of their parents. They want to do no more art for their parents, which takes us back to the Corbin that the PragerU video failed to mention. The Corbin of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect and causing the people to do no more art for their parents. What's doing that but Social Security? Which is exactly what the system of Corbin was, was a Social Security program based on forced contributions. You had to pay in. And they had guy by Molokai uh, ministers going out there, pacing off your fields to make sure that you contributed the right amount, counting the branches on your coming uh, branches on that plant to see what they had coming to them because you had to give them a share. 10, 20%. But anyway, disobedient to parents, in other words, not taking care of parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, which is why you see all this promiscuity, uh, broken marriages, living together, and then living together with somebody else, and then living together with somebody else. <laughs> and uh, and then, of course, you get into the bisexual and all these kinds of... And then people don't know what what sex they're even at. They have this dysphoria about it. And I sympathize with that. But that is a product of this selfishness. Because you're not following the natural affection of taking care of your parents and taking care of your brothers and sisters and taking care of your neighbors. So you have all this free time to become truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good. Where you, you hate the guy who stays married and stays faithful to his wife. And, and you, you become traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. We're supposed to... Now, the, there's many people that do all those things that I mentioned. Those covetous practices. All socialism. Free education. Uh, pay my student loan, uh, pay my kids public school education, out of tax dollars. All that is a covetous practices. And from such we are to turn away. Now we're not condemning them. We're, we're just saying we're not going to be a part of that system. We're going to be a part of a righteous system that's based on faith, hope, and charity. And it goes on to say, uh, of this sort, are they which creep into houses and lead captives, silly women, laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts. This is the modern church. And not just silly women, but silly men as well. I want, don't want to be chauvinist about it. That think they're following Christ, but they're actually engaged in those covetous practices, which Peter talks about will make you merchandise, curse your children, and make you surety for debt. And all of which has taken place. All of which has happened. When you hear about it in the news, the debt rising at a phenomenal rate. But 
ministers, goes on to talk about ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. So that's what we're trying to share with you is the whole truth. In the, the article, they talk about the heritage of liberation theology, which uh, began back in the 1960s. And we talked about it way back. This liberation theology had a place in the communion or communities of what thought themselves to be Christian communities because they did not understand this full gospel, which we see the PragerU video leaving out. We're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. To seek the benefits of those governments that exercise authority and force the contributions of the people to get free bread from them is to get things sacrificed to idols because that whole system of free bread was run through the temples which were government buildings of Rome of Greece of Corinth that's how they provided the free bread to the socialist systems that were being set up all over the Roman Empire all around the Mediterranean and they were providing for the needy to force contributions which is the antithesis of the gospel according to John the Baptist, according to Jesus Christ, according to Peter. And Peter warns that you would again, be, again become entangled in the yoke of bondage because of these covetous practices. And you would become merchandise. You'd become surety for debt. All of which has happened. And it's happened while people have been preaching you half of a gospel. Because they remove the inconvenient truths that are right there in the text. This is we saw with a PragerU video. Said a lot of good things. And, and I believe that the people who put together the video have a lot of good intent. But if you're not going to preach the whole gospel, you're preaching a lie. Because that's the definition of a lie. It's a lie by omission of the whole gospel. And the whole gospel is that we should be taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity entirely. So, talks about his hermeneutical key and uh, this liberation theology and, and uh, those things in the article. And he talks about relevant to a contemporary world. But the oppression of the middle class and even the rich was the number one consequence of idolatry, because he talks about the consequence of idolatry is the oppression of the poor. Well, eventually it did lead to the oppression of the poor, but it started with the oppression of the rich, came down to the oppression of the middle class, and eventually included the oppression of the poor. But the worst thing that it did is it did not strengthen the poor with its charity, its free bread. And, you know, the free bread of Rome was also included cheese at times and wine at times and and even meat at times during the festivals. They would butcher, they, they had this thing called the shambles where they would have all these animals sacrificed. They would cut up the meat and they would give it away to the poor. Some they would sell, but that was all things. And then they would take the money and they would use it. But that was all idolatry. Because it was about providing for the religious, you know, the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man was what religion was. But now their 
pious performance has to do with the obligation to your father. And Jesus says, call no man on earth father. Another part of the Bible that's right there. Anybody who studies history knows that at that time, the patres of Rome were the senators of Rome. And the patronus of Rome, the our father of Rome, was the emperor. And so when Jesus said, call no man patri, everybody knew he was talking about the senators of Rome who gave away this free bread and the emperors who gave away money. Every time there was a new emperor, they gave money out to the poor. And they gave it out based on their registration in a system of forced contributions through the pagan temples. But Christ was building a Christian temple that did not depend on forced contributions, but on free will contributions. Now, if you put these facts together with critical thinking, you realize that Social Security, the Welfare Office, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, are all religious institutions. They're what is called public religion. And they are providing for the widows and orphans and needy of society and even the strangers in your midst and now even the illegal foreigners that come into your country. They're providing for them through forced offerings through the Church of the United States, the public religion of the United States. Because, see, if you think religion is what you think about God, you're going to miss this. That's why they had to change the definition. So that you think you're religious because you think this about God. Christ said it's not what you say, it's not what you think, it's what you actually do. And what you actually do tells us what you're actually thinking. If you're thinking it's okay to take from your neighbor by force to provide for your needs, you're not thinking like a Christian. Now, there are many people that think a lot of things like Christ, but if you don't think all like Christ, you're you're not fit for the kingdom. You have to really convert the way you think into the way that Christ was thinking. And this was hard for the people back then, which is why people were following him by the thousands. And then he tells them another level to what Christianity is really all about. And many of them walked away and found excuses. Well, I got to go do this. I got to go do that. And really, it's very simple. What you have to do is seek the kingdom of God, which is a system that where people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and actually start caring for one another through faith, hope, and charity instead of force, fear, and violence. So, anyway, uh, Shibi also talks about a sub- subtle but important shift that occurs for those who embrace critical theory is that it becomes not just a helpful lens to interpret the Bible, but is recognized as an interpretive key becoming the foundation to derive what they call truth from the biblical text. Well, the problem is, to some degree, I don't know what degree because I don't really know them, Shebe and, and uh, Plasterer, uh, or, you know, Rick Plaster already are subject to the distortions of those very lenses that they're talking about by the society and the interpretations they've already read. Freeing oneself from oppressive ideas of dominant groups is what Israel did in Egypt. But their tactics were decidedly different than the modern woke generation that we see today. The Bible is about liberating marginalized groups 
through those groups practicing pure religion. That's taking care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity rather than force, fealty, and violence. And you're supposed to be providing it through a daily ministration of charity. Now, the only practical way of doing that is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands as Christ commanded his church, his disciples to organize the people in. And, of course, we don't organize you. You organize yourselves in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start that true charity, that true love of taking care of one another so that you're no longer dependent upon those men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. That is seeking the kingdom of God to move in that direction. And if you won't sit down in that pattern and begin to actually seek the kingdom of God, you're not doing the commandments of Christ because that he actually uses... They actually use the word commanded. That's where Christ commanded people to actually do something. That's right in the text. It's the only place he commanded the people to do something. And he did it or there was not going to be any loaves and fishes. There wasn't to be any welfare through the church until people actually organized themselves in a system of charity that cared for one another. So if we look at, in fact, this whole idea of intersectionality is the antithesis of true Christianity. Because it's dividing the people into these different groups of oppression and oppressed and all that kind of stuff. But that's not what we're supposed to be doing. You can look at Romans ten twelve, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all, rich unto all, that... Call upon him. So, are you really calling upon Christ or are you calling upon the fathers of the earth? Are you calling upon those men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority? Force the contributions of the people to provide you with free education. Of course, they don't really provide you with those forced contributions because they're borrowing money, which is why you become a surety for debt and you have cursed your children. And the money you pay in in taxes usually just goes to pay the interest on the debt that you're living under. You have returned to the bondage of Egypt, you see. And you were told to never go back there again. But you were told that you would get entangle yourself in the bondage of Egypt, entangle yourself in that yoke because of your covetous practices. Peter said it, Paul said it, uh, Christ warned about it. All the prophets have told you from the beginning. You can go back to Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Uh, over and over again they tell you this. But, your modern preachers are just trying to get enough warm people in the pews. And that's not what Christianity is about. That's not evangelism. If you're not telling them the whole gospel, you're you're actually a worker of iniquity because you're keeping them from the knowledge of the truth. In Galatians 3.28 it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. There is no oppressed and oppressor. There are those who are seeking righteousness with all their heart, mind, and soul. And those that may be seeking some righteousness with less than all their heart, mind, and soul. And then there are some that are actually seeking unrighteousness. 
And But God is judged. We're not vengeful on this. So in the article, they also mention this Hubert Marcuse and his doctrine of repressive tolerance, uh, which he advanced back in the 1960s. And he's, he was a German-American philosopher, a sociologist, a political theorist associated with the, the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory. And so anyway, that guy's around talking about this suppression of conservative judgments, repression, and the, uh, the toleration or, uh, or really, it would seem the acceptance of radical claims of groups held by this marginalized society. And they're actually going to keep you from speaking. So you see this repressive tolerance growing in America, where they're, they're trying to keep you from speaking. They're calling it hate speech or triggering and all this kind of stuff. But that's all part of that critical theory because they don't want to look at all the facts, which we will when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we have this idea of uh, oppressing speech, oppressing ideas from those people who divide the world into the oppressor and the oppressed. They say they are the oppressed, but they're the ones who want to stop you from speaking. And we see that same spirit in the way in which they approach their critical theory. Because they oppress, they shun facts in the biblical text. So that you think the Bible is about what a lot of modern church people say the Bible is about. Which is supposed to be about what you think about God. When the Bible is about how you going to take care of loving your neighbor. The responsibility that put on you by God to love your neighbor as yourself. And you think by going to church and doing a little bit of token charity. that You know, helping out a few widows. Maybe sending some money to Africa or South America to some missions there. That you are practicing Christianity when actually Christianity was taking care of all the widows and orphans in your own congregation entirely, 100%, was so that none of them had to go to the men who called themselves benefactors but exercised authority. None of them had to go to the temples, the government buildings of Rome, of Corinth, of uh, Athens, uh, they didn't have to go to those benefactors who exercised authority. They were taken care of in their own community. Now, certainly, most of the elderly would be taken care of by their children or their nieces and their nephews. But they would also be, you know, occasionally there isn't enough of those prospering because people die. They get the flu and die or whatever. And uh, so then... That's where the church comes in. And the church is to facilitate that charity of taking care of the needy of society through charity, through faith, hope, and charity, rather than force, fear, and fealty. Which is the way the world does it. You have to sign up. Now you owe them. You have to pay in. They can actually, if they've incorporated under Nimrod or Cain or Caesar or... FDR, 
they, with their institutions, they can borrow money against the future, against the future of your children, and then provide you with the benefits today. Of course, that would curse your children with the debt. And of course, if you've watched any news, even CNN will tell you this. (laughs) But if you know anything about what's going on, that's exactly what's happened. Everybody born today are born in debt. Born in the United States, born in New Zealand, born in Australia, born in England, born in Canada. All those children are born in debt and will someday have to work to pay off that debt, pay that interest back into the traveling merchants of the earth. And that's the system you've created. And you've created that system because people haven't been preaching the whole gospel. They haven't been preaching the whole truth. And anything that is less than the whole truth is a lie. So ministers get up in their pulpit and they preach a lie because they don't tell you the whole truth. They say, oh, well, we're just preaching the milk of Christian kindness. Well, then that's not a congregation. That's just somebody out there on the street that you've got to come in and sit in your pew. That's not really a congregation of Christ. That's not the church established by Christ. That's just, you know, you're just telling people to be nice to each other. Which is good, but not the gospel. Because that's that's the hard truths of the gospel. The inconvenient truths of the gospel is you should be taking care of all social welfare in your communities. If those communities are truly Christian communities. Which is why... Because you've allowed this whole system of Corbin, this whole system of social welfare, to grow up in your nation, you're no longer a Christian nation. You're no longer following the way, the way of Christ. You are part of the system of oppressors and oppressed. Because you've become accustomed to living at the expense of your neighbor. And have developed the habit of doing so. At the, at the expense of others. You cannot rid your society of oppression by oppressing others in your society. And, or by changing who is allowed to oppress who. That was the thing in, in Iran. They were complaining about the Shah tortured people. And they said the CIA was teaching them how to torture people. And when a CIA agent was asked that, he was just shocked. And he said, we can't teach these people anything about torture. Because he knew they tortured people. But the revolution of getting rid of the Shah simply put the torture stick in someone else's hands. And, you know, now many many of those torturers now became devout Muslims <laughs> so they could keep the torture stick they used before. Now, many of them were killed off, too, in, in the violent revolution. But they did not want to change. They just wanted to change who held the torture stick. And that's why today the the mums of the, the Muslim Brotherhood or whatever that is running Iran are pilfering the same billions of dollars in luxury and affluence that the Shah had been taking. But now they're taking it for themselves. and But they're keeping the people oppressed as much or more so than the Shah. Why? Because the hearts of the people did not change. We always see the pictures of, 
you know, Iran back in the 60s and everybody looks so modern. But they they were taking on the outward appearance of, uh, I hate to say, democratic society. But they were not changing in their hearts. And that's that's what I realized is you have to change. And one of the ways to begin that change in your heart is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and actually begin the process of learning what it takes to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. And that's what you have to do, which is why Christ went to all the trouble to command that. Now, in this article that we've been kind of taking some of my notes off of, they talk about several principles are important to understand the Bible on its own terms. And they say, one, the world is God's creation and therefore good. Well, actually, he's using the word world there improperly. The world, as you see, probably most often in the New Testament, is from, there's four different Greek words that are translated in the world. One of them is constitutional order and system of government. Your religion is to be unspotted by the world. That's the word he's using there. I don't know what word they're using in this little statement that he makes as this number one thing. The, the planet was created by God. The life on the planet was created by God. And it was good. But it also has the potential to shut out the light which is what you see in this critical theory. They shut out certain facts. They don't want to look at those things. They want to live in darkness. They want to sit in darkness. And this is when Christ came, found the world sitting in darkness. And he wanted to bring light to it. So the planet, the people on the planet are not necessarily good unless they let the light of God into their hearts and into their minds. And when they do, they will start to see that we should be taking care of one another through charity, not through force. Why you have to explain that Christ was not a socialist is clear evidence that people do not understand who Christ is. The second thing he says is human power cannot be the basis of understanding reality. Well, that's true. We have to have a revelation in order to understand. Intellect alone is not enough because intellect can be biased. Intellect can be prejudiced. Intellect can shut out certain inconvenient facts. So we need that revelation of God. In order to let that revelation of God, we need to make a place in our heart for God. And one of the ways you do that is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and strive, seek the righteousness of God. In other words, to live by faith, hope, and charity instead of force, fear, and violence. So if you sit down to do that with any kind of congregation, don't just say, I'm not going to sit with that guy because he's too poor. I'm not going to sit with that guy because he's too this or he's too that. You're just, it's, a, it's a free assembly. You're not a corporation. It's a free assembly. And yet there will be poor amongst you in heart and in spirit and in morality even. But you forgive them and say, look, I'm just sitting here to start this process of seeking the kingdom, which is an individual process. Critical thinking is an individual process. So even when you sit down, somebody was talking about elders. And that is one of the big misconceptions. You can look up our article on elders. They were talking about elders having, who's your elder in your church? Because they want to know who has authority in your church. Elders have no authority in the church. Ministers have no authority in the church. They have authority in their life. They have authority in their family. Hopefully they exercise that authority with love. 
But they have no authority in the church because we're not to exercise authority one over the other like the other governments of the Gentiles. An elder is simply the head of a family. The idea that giving this office of power to somebody you call an elder in your church, that's felonious. That's a misinterpretation and mistranslation. But anyway, number three that they mention here is there is a unified field of knowledge and morals based on revelation instead of the facts of dominant cultures or simply analysis of oppressor and oppressed. All that's kind of interesting. I think it misses the understanding of the Bible entirely. He did not hit it. He doesn't hit it until later down in the article. And then when he hits it, he doesn't hit it as hard as I've been hitting it for you. <laughs> and hopefully he will, you know, I'll, I'll try to send the audio to them and see what they think of it. Because it's all about that, their article. Uh, you cannot rid your society of oppression by changing who is allowed to oppress. And I give you the example of Polybius' statement. When he said 150 years before Christ and John the Baptist. He says, the masses continue with an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by the way of the rule of force and violence. The people, having grown accustomed to feed at the expense of others and to depend for their livelihood on the property of others, institute the rule of violence in their government. Because the church is not their government. They are not taking care of the widows and orphans and needy of their society through charity. They're doing it through force and violence. And now uniting their forces, massacre, banish, and plunder, which we see is the inevitable result of critical theory. They're going to banish speech. They're going to banish opinions. They're going to go in and scream so you can't even talk at your meetings. They're going to plunder. Today they're just plundering with noise. But we see the violence on the street as well. Hitting people and and bashing people. Creating war on the street. This is what's coming from preaching half a gospel. And you need to stop. And you need to preach the whole gospel. And he goes on to say, until they degenerate, the people degenerate again into perfect savages, which we see in these Antifa rallies and protests. Finding once more a master, a monarch, a Stalin, a Mao, a Popat. That's what they're, that's where they're headed. And that is the opposite direction of Christianity. And the reason that they're headed that way is that churches have not been preaching the whole truth of the gospel of the kingdom. Exodus 22:21. Thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him. For ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. So they use quotes like this to say that we're supposed to help the illegals entering into America. Now, personally, I don't think we need a border wall if we were still the walls of righteousness that we once were in America. But we become a socialist nation with our free education, our our free health care, our free uh, this, that, and the other thing, our welfare systems. And so, therefore, we don't have the moral integrity. We become savages. We pillage our neighbor, forcing him by the sheriff going there and taxing him so that we can have free education for our kids. This is taking a toll on our Christianity. 
It is dividing us from Christ because we are oppressing our neighbor to obtain those benefits we have developed an appetite for. Now, you, when I'm saying this, it's just, it's just going over a lot of people's heads. Because they don't want to accept the truth that we as Christians should be homeschooling or private schooling our children. We should be taking care of the health and education and welfare of our children through free will offerings. Not depending upon those men who exercise authority one over the other. But we are. Yet we still call ourselves Christians. We actually have, I've seen Christian ministers say, well I'm sending my kids to public school as evangelists. You're sending your kids to an institution supported by forced contributions contrary to the teachings of Christ to teach the people about Christ not going to work. You're te- preaching half a gospel. You need to change the way you think. Exodus 23.9 Also thou shalt not oppress the stranger for ye know the heart of the stranger. They just go through this. Leviticus 25.14 Leviticus 25.17 Ye shall not therefore oppress one another. Not just the stranger but one another. If you're forcing the contributions to get the benefits you want from society you're oppressing your neighbor. Proverbs 3.31 Envy thou not the oppressor, choose none of his ways. But yet you do. And how many people are vote? I know a lot of the people that vote for the socialist programs that we see and the communist programs that we see and the candidates that we see, they are actually atheists, but at least they're honest about that. But the Christians who do this or people claiming to be Christians, you can't because you're playing the part of the oppressor. You're trying to force the contributions of the, the people. He says, he that oppresses the poor to increase his riches and he that giveth to the rich shall surely come to want. If you were organizing the tens, hundreds, and thousands and there was some capitalist who was taking advantage of his employees you would have the power in your community to alter the way in which he was behaving. But it, because you have been losing sight of true Christianity for over a hundred years, the unions rose up. There was a need for them in some places, but the unions have become as oppressive as the old employers. In many cases, I can show you examples of this. But we're, we're not following those guidelines. But you can go again to James 2, verse 5. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? Well, if you love him, you have to love his ways, the whole way of Christ. You can't just pick and choose what you want to accept of Christ, because then your belief in Jesus is a lie. Because it's not the real Jesus, it's half a Jesus. But ye have despised the poor. Do not uh, rich men oppress you and draw you before their judgment seats? Yeah, that's what's happening now. Do not they blaspheme the worthy name by that which ye are called Christianity? Yeah, they blaspheme it. Because you're not being real Christians. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, which is to love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But that's not what you're doing. You're coveting your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority contrary to the teachings of Christ. Yet still calling yourself Christians. 
needs to stop. You need to repent. You have need of repentance. But if ye have respect of persons, ye commit a sin, and ye are convinced of the law as transgressors. You, you need to change the way in which you're approaching Christianity. You're, you're still trying to elect men who will fix this. Now, I don't, I'm not opposing the fact that you, you want to go vote, go vote. You, you're, most people probably voting in self-defense anyway, although there are many people that are not. And it'd be curious to see what the election in America is going to bring this next time around. But that, whoever you elect, that is not your salvation. Your salvation is what Christ taught. But nobody's, very few people in the churches, the evangelicals, are actually preaching the whole gospel. They're not telling you what religion is. They're not teaching you how to practice pure religion. They're not facilitating the practice of pure religion. They're comforting, they're tickling your ears on the weekend, but allowing you to engage in works of iniquity the rest of the week. Acts 15.20 But that we write unto them that they abstain from the pollutions of idols and from the fornication and from things strangled and from blood. Well, taxation is strangling your neighbor in order to obtain the benefits you want. That's the pollution of the idols. Second Peter 2.18 For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, you know, all those benefits they want. Those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome of the same he is brought into bondage. We used to take care of all the social welfare of the people of America through charity. There was no social welfare until the socialist FDR really started bringing it in uh, in gangbusters. Yeah, that people said we defeated socialism when we defeated Hitler. FDR was a socialist. What the enemy is within the gate. <laughs> He's already there. Yeah, you defeated Hitler, but you didn't defeat socialism because it continued to grow in America. Verse 24, If after they have escaped the pollution of the world, what's the pollution? This covetous practices, through the knowledge of the Lord, which the modern churches are not giving you, and the Savior, Jesus Christ, who they are not describing in full, Jesus was the guy, Christ is the office, the Messiah, the King. I hear heard a kid the other day saying, I have one King. Uh, Jesus. Great. And that guy showed great, you know, he was the one who was brought up on the rapper stage and was told to say something derogatory about the president, you know, blankety blank Trump or something. And he wouldn't do it. He stood his ground. Great. Good for him. Because he wouldn't engage in such defamatory language. He's not even political as an individual. He probably is now. Charlie Kirk, I guess, called him and talked to him. But he, he, he said Jesus was his salvation. But what I'm talking about is how that becomes a reality. By doing what Jesus actually said. 
they, he says, they are again entangled therein and overcome. And the latter end is worse than the beginning. In Egypt, you had to pay 20% of everything you earned into the government. Today, it's far more than that. But anyway, this critical theory, however, by its very principles, uncritically accepts the claims people in categories deemed oppressed or oppressor. And that's that's contrary to what we should be doing. He said that he was thankful for homeschooling. This is what uh, Shribi is saying, is that he was thankful for homeschooling was still legal in Canada because this is where these guys are from who are writing this article. And, and we advocate that too, homeschooling, private schooling, taking care, but also in the areas of health and welfare and every aspect of welfare. Canada is a heavily welfare state and getting worse. So they see that and they even talk about uh, taking care of the widows and orphans and needy of their society through these systems of the church. But we have a long ways to go because we have gone so far away from this. This is why this beast has risen up in the world today that is going about and devouring who it will. And, you know, people think Trump is their salvation. He's a heartbeat away from letting somebody else take power. The power structure is already there. And they talk in this critical theory about structure. But the structure of the kingdom of God is sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, voluntarily organizing yourselves in these groups, picking ministers who are here to actually be public servants through charity, through faith, through hope and through love. That's Christianity. If you're not doing that, you have need of repentance to turn around and think another way. And so anyway, we'll talk more about this next time on Keys of the Kingdom. Till then, see you on the network. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.